Well, we welcome those of you who are joining us by way of the Fellowship Hall in our modern worship service. I know you've had a, a wonderful time of encountering God there in your worship time. Those of you who are online, we welcome you as well as you visit with us through um, our services there. It's always wonderful to hear how God is using our technology. God is using ministry in innovative ways to reach people. And let me just say this, uh, church, thank you for the way that you responded yesterday in our single mom's oil change. For those of you who've been around a while, you know what that is. For those of you who haven't, it's a wonderful way that we serve our community where we have guys and gals who just really give their Saturday morning, uh, not just to change the oil and fill some air and tires of cars that some of some of those cars desperately need it, amen? But it's a chance to minister to families, minister to people. And I was just um, amazed yesterday as I was walking back to the car and, and, and driving to the next thing I had on my calendar um, at how God used all of you. God uses those guys as they change the oil. God uses you gals as you minister there in the, um, in the ministry center. All those tables were full filled with single moms and with families and with children and God uses you women the women's ministry you just do a beautiful job of ministering those ladies I, th I think one of the the pictures that comes to mind is one of our ladies that serves on our women's council just sitting down and with this smile just pouring her her heart into the life of one of these moms and and then we have the Ben's ministry and they're available to do home repair and home reconstruction and then you've got mission 127 who offers um, clothes for those that families that need it. And in the, in the fall, we'll, we'll do this again. We'll do backpacks for in, in the fall. And I, I'm just amazed every time we do something like that at how God uses you, the body of Christ to reach our community. I just wanted to say thank you for that. And for Cal Moreland and all of his work, I texted Cal early this morning while I was shaving. And uh, I said, Cal, tell me a little bit about yesterday. And he said, we had 140 cars come through. That's a lot of cars. You know, normally said in the spring, we typically have 90 to 120 cars. And I was like, praise God, praise God for that. And just your ministry there. And, and so just thank you. Thank you, church, for the way you just serve. So many of you do that. And then tonight we invite you to come back. Tonight's going to be a special night of worship. We, you know, the Easter season is here. If you can believe it, Easter's in two weeks. Next week is Palm Sunday, the Easter uh, service, two Sundays from now. Good Friday services, the Friday right before, obviously, Easter Sunday. I'll just say this real, real quickly. In all of our, all of our rooms and, and you online, please, will you consider inviting someone? Would you please just open your eyes and open your heart to someone who is not here, who doesn't know Christ, or maybe they're far from Christ, and maybe they're a neighbor, coworker, family member, or whatever. Please don't come to Easter all buttoned up and looking good, and you always do, without someone else. Would you open your heart and open your eyes to see who's not here? This morning I'm driving away down out of our cul-de-sac down the road and I'm just thinking, am I even looking around and ready to invite someone to come to Easter services? Maybe the one time, Christmas Eve and Easter might be the two Sundays, might be the two opportunities that folks will come. So we encourage you to do that. But tonight we set the tone with our worship service here at 6 an incredible time for you to uh, participate and encounter God in worship. You come back, there's going to be a special time that we're going to pray for those who might be uh, hurting or broken. 
I prayed for that this morning. We're going to continue to pray for that this evening, that God would open up hearts and that people would experience a fresh, fresh touch from the Lord this evening. Next Sunday night, we have a group of students. You don't want to miss this. Next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock as well, right here. Uh, a group of students from, from Burma, and they have um, fled persecution, their families overseas, and God has done an amazing work in these kids' lives. And they're coming to sing. They're a choir from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They've sung here before. They're going to come here again. And then throughout the week, we have the privilege of ministering to them and loving them out on the fields and in our rec center. And other refugees from the area are going to join them. So I, I'm just so excited about the next couple of weeks, and I want you to be excited too. I want you to participate, and I want you to really have your hearts open and ready and, and, and jump in and serve and continue to worship and, and come. Your presence is needed. Give. We, we started our 90-day challenge for April, May, and June where we're asking you to give some of you for the very first time, some of you for the very first time, just to give to the body of Christ, to the kingdom. As I share these things, you see Christ leading the way. And for some of you to give regularly, you give every once in a while, maybe. For some to give sacrificially, God has laid it on your heart to give in some way. And so that 90-day challenge continues all the way through the summer. So we just have wonderful ways to open up your heart to what God is doing here. And so I just wanted you to be a part of that, but lead by saying thank you. Thank you, Taylors, for all that you do. And we start a new series today. Turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Luke. And tonight we'll continue that theme in our worship, the kingdom cost. We're going to follow Jesus as he makes his way to the cross. And, but today we come to a point where Jesus challenges us to go with him. And he challenges us with this thought that discipleship in Christianity is not established for our self-improvement. But Christianity and following Jesus and discipleship is furthered by our self-denial. And Jesus teaches us that this morning as we look at him at a point where he turns and he pivots in the gospel of Luke. And so I look forward to sharing that with you. And as you find your place, understand this, that there are, are really two groups of people in the world. Did you know that? There's really only two groups. One group of people, they love dogs, and one group of people, they love cats. Which group are you in this morning? All right, dogs, cats, all right. It, it, this morning, when I said that at 9 o'clock, there, there was an audible expression as to who they were supporting. And, and so there's only two groups of people. Either you love dogs or you love cats. Now, for me and my family, we love both. We have, we have a, a dog and we have a cat. Do we have that picture, Alex and Jesse? And guys, do you have the picture do we have them? No. No. I'll show you that picture later. How about that? All right. It's a wonderful picture of, of our dog and our cat. My wife sent it to me during the morning message. See what my wife does in the morning when I'm preaching? Right? She goes, hey, hey, this is a great picture. You can maybe show everybody, you know, your, your dog and cat. We, we have a dog and a cat, and they get together incredibly well, and they love one another really, really well, and we love loving them. But there's really two ways of thinking when it comes to dogs and cats. Here's what goes through their mind. You didn't know this this morning when you came in, but here's what they think. All right, here's the difference. Dogs say this, my master feeds me and my master gives me shelter and my master provides for me and pets me and loves me and cares for me so beautifully. My master, my owner, he must be God. That's what he says. You know what the cat says? My master feeds me 
And my master provides shelter for me. And my master provides everything that I need. And my master pets me and loves me and cares for me. Therefore, I must be God, right? That's the difference between the two. And if we're not careful, here's what happens in religious life, all right? If we're not careful, religion and Christianity can take on a cat perspective. That all God gives us in his grace is salvation, his church, the scriptures, our worship, our Bible studies, our Christian friends, Christian radio station, Christian culture here at Great. If we're not careful, here is the cat mentality that we take on. That all of these things are given to us for me and my self-improvement. Thank you, God, for appealing to me and my self-centeredness, right? Now, we might not say it that way, but this is how we live. Look, I've been a follower of Jesus a long, long time. Maybe not as long as some of you have. I was a father of Jesus when I was a little boy, baptized when I was 12 years old. Been in church ever since. And I can get that mentality where everything that God gives me in his grace, Christianity, is for my self-improvement. To improve as a father. To improve in my parenting skills. To improve in my marriage. To improve as a man. To improve as a worker. To improve as a neighbor. To improve in relationships. Everything that Christianity, that that God affords us by his grace is meant for for my improvement. To kind of pick myself up and kind of ascend into this this form of of self-improvement where I am all that I am meant to be. But Jesus makes it very, very clear in Luke chapter 9 this morning that Christianity is totally different. Christianity and his cross and his life was not meant to improve me. It was meant for me to follow him and to deny myself. That Christianity is not meant so that I'm a, a good religious version of whatever Christian culture wants me to be or whatever church wants me to be or whatever the denomination wants me to be. You fill in the blank. Whatever you think you're supposed to be, whatever version that is, Jesus just comes to us in Luke chapter 9 this morning and he's on his way to the cross and he calls every single one of us to set aside this version and this notion that I, that Christianity is here, Jesus has come so that my marriage can improve. Although we want better marriages, so that I can become a better father. We, we want to parent well. But the beginning point is not me improving myself. The beginning point is me denying myself and following him. And so Jesus makes this point in Luke chapter 9 in a powerful way. And let me set the stage this morning. Here's what happens. Peter, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And some of them say, well, um, Jesus, people are saying you're John the Baptist. People are saying you're one of the prophets. But he looks at him and he says, but who do you say that I am? That's when Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ of God. In other words, you're the Messiah. You're the one that all the Old Testament prophets, all the things that we learned about in synagogue, all the things that we learned about from our Jewish fathers, you are him. You're the anointed one, Jesus. We can't believe it that we're alive when the Messiah comes and you are going to come and you're going to restore the kingdom of God. This is what he's saying when he says you're the Messiah. 
You're going to restore the kingdom of God. You're going to restore it to, to the glory of David and Solomon in the past. And, and you're going to overthrow these Romans. We don't have to worry about them anymore. That's why they're always wrestling the disciples for who, who's the greatest. And can I sit on your right? And can I sit on your left? And, and you are him. And Jesus says something immediately following that. Not to the disciples, but to all of us that totally blows every circuit and understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to do because the Messiah wasn't going to come and win and rule and reign. Not right away. He was going to come to do something else. And they didn't understand this, nor, nor could they, nor could they. I mean, their understanding of who he was would grow and, and it would expand as they see him go to the cross. They see the empty tomb as the Holy Spirit comes in and then they finally begin to get it. But at this point in Luke chapter 9 and verse 20, when they say that, Jesus says something to them that is striking in verses 21 through 24. And it sets the stage for our series called The Kingdom Cost and it sets our stage for this morning. And so I want you to find your place, if you have it already, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 21. Would you please stand with me out of respect, simply out of reverence for the word of God this morning as we preach and as we teach and we lift up Christ. And here's what it says in verse 21. Peter makes that confession. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man, him, me, Jesus, this is his favorite title for himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Keep reading. And so he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him, there it is, deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, go down to verse 51. Scroll down. Find your place. Listen what happens. So when the drays drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make, prepar to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him. Why? Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? All in Christian love, of course, right? But he turned and he rebuked them, and they simply just went to another village. Now listen, keep reading. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, you leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you for standing. Thank you for your respect to the word this morning. You may be seated.
here's where Jesus is going. He's going to the cross. You read it. There's a point in Luke's gospel where his kingdom ministry is going on, but in verse 51, there's a pivot and there's a turn, and now he's going to Jerusalem. Now he sets his face, or it's as if his jaw is firmly squared and clenched, and everything from this point forward is heading toward Jerusalem. Now, the disciples think because he's the Messiah, we're going to to Jerusalem to reign. He knows he's going to Jerusalem to die and to suffer and to be rejected. But now he knows it's time. Everything that my father has asked me to do, the days are closer. I got to go. Here's the path I'm on. So everything from Luke 9, 51 to the end of the gospel of Luke, the cross is the shadow. And so when Jesus says to them, hey, all of you, All of you, listen, if anyone wants to come follow me, take up your cross and follow me. You know, we we love the cross. We we sing about the cross. We see the cross. There's crosses in my study. There's crosses in my home. There's crosses in your home. Put a cross out here in front of the church for Easter. And when Jesus mentions the cross for us, it's like that song, the old rugged cross. You remember that hymn? Maybe you sang it. The old rugged cross so despised by the world is a wonderful attraction for me. I can still hear my grandmother playing. It's this wonderful attraction, but the cross is absolutely despised. It's shameful. When Jesus says this to the people, it's like taking nails on on a chalkboard. Students, you know what chalkboards are? Do you have chalkboards anymore? I just thought about that. It's like taking nails on a chalkboard and just scratching it, and it's just to your ears. You're like, no, don't do that. And when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow, they're saying, no, wait a second, wait a second. If you're the Messiah... Why the cross talk? If you're going to win and rule and reign, why the talk of the most horrendous, humiliating, shameful symbol in all of Palestine? I mean, you you hang the worst criminals naked on a cross. They're rejected by society. They deserve it. They're they're a spectacle for everyone. Embarrass, humiliate, so you don't do what they did. They're awful. And when Jesus said the cross, they just said, we don't get this. But Jesus says, take your cross and follow me. It'd be like today. One writer said, it'd be like today for us if we put it in our modern day language. You know, we we wear crosses on 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 our necklaces. You might have one on. Um. It'd be like wearing the electric chair around your neck. So shameful. Such a sign of humiliation and embarrassment and sin and guilt. That's what it'd be like. And they don't get it. They don't fully understand what Jesus is saying here. And neither do we. We have a cat mentality that says everything about church and everything about religion and everything about grace and the gospel is meant to improve ourselves, but this is foundational. Our marriages, yes, and our families, yes, and our relationships, yes, we want to see those grow in grace. We want to see those grow in Christ, but the foundation, the beginning point is not to take everything on and say, this is for me, but rather to begin with this truth. When Jesus says, if you're going to come and follow me, Here is the cost. Take up your cross daily, every day, every day. Take it on and let's go. Are you going to come with me? 
And we, we lose sight of that in our, in our scrubbed down Christian world. But Jesus is very, very clear that there are some things that hold us back. And that's why when we come to verses 51 through 62, or rather verse 57, Jesus is going to help us. The gospel of Luke is going to help us here. Because here are some things that might hold you back. There are two audiences here this morning, not dogs and cat lovers. There are two audiences, those who have trusted Christ entirely with your life. You've given yourself to him. And what Jesus says to us causes us to remember and think, it did me, am I willing to pick up my cross and follow? If I am truly a follower, is this my life? Or am I playing religion and church? And the second group of people are those that you've never followed him. You're seated here. You are in this room. You are in that room. You are online. And Jesus wants you to count the cost. He's not going to just give you this phony Christianity, this, this fake little religion and say, well, come on and everything will be good and you'll improve yourself. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross for your sin. I'm going to give everything up for you. I'm asking you to come and follow me. And so what do we see here? There are three things that I think in these three stories that prevent us from following Jesus, that, that it's a cost to the kingdom and some of us just aren't willing to pay it perhaps. Number one is found in verses 57 and 58 of Luke chapter nine. Look at it again. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, Matthew chapter eight says that this is a scribe. This is a religious leader. This is a preacher. <laughs> this is a preacher. This is one that interprets the law, studies the law, teaches the law, and he wants to become this rabbi. He wants to take that next step, and he wants to follow a teacher and a rabbi who will get him to that next level of the law, that next standard of religion. And so he, he's thinking about hitching his wagon to Jesus. But here's what we find out as we move further in the gospel of Luke and further in the gospels, that if you're a religious leader and you want to take that next step and work your way up the ladder, don't follow this Jesus guy because he's going to get himself killed. And he's going to make you look bad in the process if, if you think you're going to follow him and attain to this incredible reputation as a religious leader. Exhibit A, look at Peter. When they come to him and they say, hey, Peter, aren't you the one following Jesus? Remember? And what does he do? No, 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 no. It's not me. He denies him three times. So this religious guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Uh, and maybe it's a lifestyle issue. Maybe, maybe it's something, hey, th this is going to bring me to a point as a rabbi where, where I can attain a lifestyle that, that I, I want to control and, and something that, that, that I can work out on my own and I want to keep it all in front of me and I, I want to follow you, Jesus. And here's what he says. Foxes have holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Here's the first thing that might hinder us this morning from counting the cost and that in it is this that we must be willing to part ways with the certainty of control and comfort. We must be willing to say this, we are giving up the certainty, the security, the security that comes with control of my life and where I'm headed and control and the comfort that comes along with it. I must be willing to say, I'm going to let it go. 
Jesus here uses an analogy of foxes and, and they find places for security and they find places of comfort and, and birds even have nests. I was telling the folks this morning at nine o'clock in first service that a neighbor came and knocked on my door yesterday and, and she was pointing out to me that um, because of our, the slope in our hill and the water and the storms that have come down, that I need to get to work in my yard to prevent the water from coming down into her yard. That was a great conversation. I love Anita. But meanwhile, we're out in the yard. She goes, hey, look at that. And there's this hole right by our house. And it has these claw marks in it. And we were all trying to we were figure out what is in there. Whatever it is, because of the storms, that, that little sucker is finding a way and is staying in, next to my house. We need to get them, right? We need to get them. They have holes. They're going to find a place just natural. It seems like every spring, we experience birds that come and they nest in the craziest places. Do you realize that? I was thinking about this this week. Last year, last year, it was in this, I don't even know if it's a wreath. I don't even know what you call it. It's on our door. Sheree puts it on our door. It's beautiful for the spring. And it's got these, you know, shrubbery and all this stuff. And, and lo and behold, we're looking and there's this nest right in the middle of this incredible decorated item on our door to the point, and we just let it go to the point where we from the inside could look, look out through the glass and we could see the little eggs in there. You know, it was neat. So I walk out of my door, I walk out of my door into our garage the other day and there's bird poop on our wall. Can I say bird poop in church? I did it at nine. I have to do it at 1030, right? There's bird poop on our wall. There's, there's birds in our garage. And when I walk down and I look on our shelf in my son's football helmet on the shelf is a nest. It's all in this nest. It's all like the, the mass is just covered with these, with these, uh, with the bird nests. And, and so I take it and I just go, Shoom. and that whole thing is beautifully put together. You Peter people don't get mad at me, but it is beautifully put together. And it just comes out in one glum, of, it was beautiful. And I thought, I mean, they're going to stop at nothing to find control. They're going to find a way in my house. They're going to use my house to get comfort and control and have their eggs, right? This is what Jesus is saying. This is what you naturally do. You naturally seek security. You naturally want comfort. You naturally want control of your life. You naturally want to put it all together. You naturally, like, like the scribe, like the scribe, you want to have it all. Jesus, I'm going to follow you where you go. And Jesus is going to say, all right, I'm going to challenge you. You're in your little religious lane over here. You're in your little Christian world over here. You got the law. You're good at what you do. All right, but I'm going to challenge you. Leave it behind and come follow me. Leave your little religious tradition behind and follow me and do things that you don't know where it's going to lead. Are you ready to do? Are you ready to give up security and comfort and control of your life for me? Some of us aren't. I know I'm not at times. You know what the Lord taught me this week through this text? Man, he just hammered away at this. I long for comfort. I long for control. It's just natural. But, but I want everything. I want two steps ahead. Well, then tell me how that's going to work out. And I want comfort. And I, I, I don't want rough water. I'm good. I'm good when there's peace. <laughs> I'm good when everything's okay. And everyone's agreeing with one another. Everything's good. And here's what Jesus said to me. Jesus said to me, you're a minister of the gospel and I want you to pick up your cross and I want you to follow me. And if it makes you uncomfortable, not because you sin, Peter says, don't suffer and suffer because you've messed up. 
But if you're following Christ, and you pick up his cross, you're going to be rejected. You're going to quit moaning. Quit complaining. It's part of the deal. And I'm going to show you what it's like to suffer on the cross. And I'm going to show you, just come follow me. Embrace the suffering. Embrace the discomfort. Embrace the insecurity. Embrace whatever God puts in front of you. And when he looks at you, he ask, he's asking you, get out of your religious lane because I want you to follow me. I want you to change your life. I want you to experience something that you've never experienced before. I want you to grow in Christ. You want your marriage to grow. You want your family to grow. You want to grow as a man. Then deny yourself and your little conclave and follow Christ. Pick up your cross and embrace it. I was like, oh, Lord, thank you. I needed that. Embrace the discomfort. Embrace what it means to not have control. Some of you, this is, this is your life. Control over your family, control over your husband, control over your wife, control over your kids, control of your bank account, control, control, comfort, peace. If it's, if it's messed up, if it's not working out well, I'm following Jesus, but if it's not working out, it must be wrong. No, Christ simply says, I'm asking you to embrace what I embraced beginning in Luke chapter nine, the cross. Will you follow me? Here's the second thing this morning. The responsibility that allows me to delay and to excuse what Jesus wants me to do. Notice what it says there in verses 59 and 60. Someone else comes before Jesus and he looks at them and he simply says this, follow me. He picks him out. You come with me. Come on. I've got, I, you can be a part of the kingdom. You can advance the kingdom. And he looks at Jesus and says, okay, Lord, absolutely. But let me go bury my father. Let me go, let me take care of my father. Incredibly responsible thing to do in Judaism and Jewish life. There are a few things higher on the priority list than honoring those who are dead. There was great reward if you loved and honored those families, those who had died. Hey, let's go one notch higher. If it's your father or your mother, particularly your father, you want to honor him. And we often in this text, here's what I do. We, we look at that and say, Jesus, you're just being so mean to families. You're asking, you're asking people to choose over their dad or their mom or being responsible with their family. Jesus, I don't get that. And Jesus does in the gospel say, if your love for me is, is not so great that it makes your love for your family look like you hate them. If the gap isn't like that, then I don't know if you can be my disciple. Those are hard, hard words. But Jesus is also very clear. In Matthew, when he comes to the religious leaders and he looks at them and they, they've been given all their money to the temple. They've been given all their money to the 90-day challenge. They've been given all their money to God. And he looks at them and he says, listen, here's the deal. You've been giving away all your money, but your mom and your dad, they need you. And you're not honoring them. You're not loving them. He says, how can you give money, but yet not honor them with your heart? So Jesus is not saying, listen, Jesus is not saying, don't be responsible with your parents. Don't be responsible with, with your family. What he is saying, here's what I think he's saying. And this finally came to light this week when I, when I studied this, what Jesus is saying is don't use the responsibility of your family 
or of, the, of your life to say, well, Jesus, I'm going to delay and excuse what you've asked me to do. I can't do that right now because I'm over here. You see, because in Judaism and Jewish life, you could bury your father. And then after a year, you could take the bones and you bring it over to, to the ancestors. So maybe this man is looking at Jesus and, and Jesus says, come with me. Hey, we got work for the kingdom to do. And, and he says, Jesus, I, I need a year. I need a year because, um, you know, my, my dad just died. I got to take up his bones. We got to go over here. And Jesus says, no. The dead, no. The dead will take care of the dead. Um, they, they'll take care of themselves. I, I need you now to come with me. Or maybe it's this type of delay. Here's what one writer said. I was like, hmm. One writer said that if this dad's, uh, if this guy's dad really did die, he, he's not even going to think about being on the road following Jesus. That his dad was still alive, so he's thinking ahead. Hey, Jesus, um, my dad's sick and my dad's a little bit older. And um, can, can we just wait a season? And then I'll come. And Jesus says, no. I can't wait. And here's what we do. Here's our lives, okay? I'm just going to lay it out for us when we're young. You know, if I get a little bit older, a little bit more mature, I'll give my life to Jesus. I'll get serious about Christ. I'll get serious about following him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I pray to receive Christ. But I'll get serious about it. I'll get serious about him when I'm in college. You know what happens in college, don't you? All right, let me get out of college and just work through this, and, and then I'll follow Jesus, and, and I'll really get serious about, about walking. Oh, you know what? You know what? I love the single life. Let, let me get married. Oh, wow. When you get married, ooh, the weight of responsibility, then I need to follow Jesus. And, and I'm, oh, the kingdom is going to become important when, when that happens. You know what? I love hanging out with my wife. When we have kids, we're going to get back and following Jesus. We know, we know we need something. How many times do we hear that? We know we need something. But when, the ki when we get kids, hey, uh, Jesus, can you just give us till um, we're done with high school and college? That tuition check, Jesus, I got four more installments on that tuition check. When I write that check, whoa, man, I'm going to be free. Jesus, hey, when I get serious about that, oh, Jesus, when I get to retirement, you know what? I I'm going to have some time. I'm going to have some flexibility. I'm going to have some, and, and um, oh, man, that, there's a season when I'm going to do that. And Jesus looks at you and says, I want you to care for your family. I want you to love your family. But don't use them as an excuse to delay and tell me no. You bring your family with you. And you follow me. Some of you, that's where you are. I just laid out your life. And one day you're going to come and, and you're going to remember a time. You're going to remember Luke chapter 9. And it might be way, 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 way back in the past. And you're going to hear Jesus calling you. We prayed this morning as ministers that you would respond immediately to what Jesus says. I don't know what Jesus is calling some of you to this morning. But he is saying it's now. And if you don't do it now, like one writer said, oftentimes when we say no to Jesus immediately, we say no to Jesus permanently. Are you going to follow him? Here's the third thing, quickly. Notice this last story. Verses um, 61 and 62. Yet another said, Jesus, I will follow you 
But let me first say farewell to those at my house. Incredibly respectful thing to do. Very respectful. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here's the third thing. And that is divided loyalties that cause us to look back. There's divided, every single one of us have them. Let's just be honest. Divided loyalties that keep us from, from looking back this way. Here's what this guy says. Jesus, I'm ready to go. Jesus says, okay, let's go. Hey, hey, hey let, let me run. Let me go back because there's this attraction to my, to my folks or to my family. Can, can I just come back here, Jesus? And, can I, and Jesus says, no, if, if you go back, you're not going to come. There's things in our hearts that cause us to look back. There, there are events in our lives. There are people in our lives. There are hardships and there are difficulties in our lives. There are even good things that we celebrate in our lives. And there are things that are in the past and somehow, whether they're good or bad, our hearts are attracted to those things and our hearts are divided. And we continually go back. And we continually live with one foot going this way, one foot going this way. It might be a bad marriage. It might be a, a, bad, a bad issue with your family. It might be something happened at work. It might be someone hurt you or disappointed you. But it's always a default. Come follow you. No, no, if you only knew what they did back here. Oh, if things were, were, were the way they were back then. Oh, it were always back then, Right? Oh, if I could just run, run. If things were back here, we pull this word. And Jesus says, listen, wake up. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and he's trying to plow ahead. He's got his left hand here on the plow. He's got his right hand on the ox and he's trying to navigate. It's kind of rocky. It's not even. It's not beautiful farmland. He's trying to navigate. And if all he's doing is saying, my heart's back here. Oh, that event's back here. Oh, that relationship's back here. Oh, Jesus, you know, Jesus is saying, if you don't pick up your cross, you don't deny it and follow me, you are not fit. His words, not mine, fit for the kingdom of God. So where's your heart? Some of you, where's your heart? I see it. I'm stuck. And by the grace of God, I call you to follow Jesus. And Jesus, look, he, he, he might, all these things, he might not press on every single one. In fact, I doubt very seriously Jesus coming to you right now. I'm looking at you. And he's going to, every single one of those, you've got to respond. I, I don't think Jesus worth it. In fact, I don't know. There might be something else that's holding you back. These are just three examples. But here's what I do know. Jesus is going to come to you and he's going to ask you, do you care more about following me and denying yourself, or do you care about yourself? Pick up your cross. Follow me and don't look back. That's what Christianity is. And listen, there's great freedom there. Oh, my goodness. You get this worked out in your heart. You get this worked out in your life where there is nothing holding me back. And you follow him and you run. And it's amazing. It's It's liberating. And it can have a powerful impact on the world around you, on your family, on your home, on your marriage. You want to have an impact on your marriage? Then man, husband, you deny yourself and love your wife as Christ has loved the church. 
You want to have an impact on your children? You want better children? You deny yourself as a parent, love them, and give your life to them, and embrace the discomfort, and pray by God's grace that they become all God intends them to be. We could go on and on, but there's great freedom and there's great impact when we decide no turning back. Last story, and we're done. I love this story. I see Frank and Janet up here, and I see Gerald and Susan over here, and Jonathan and Kelly told me for the very first time about the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I read this week about it a little bit more. I love that song. So simple, sang it when I was a little boy. And the story goes that in the 1800s, there was this revival that broke out in northern India. Northern India was dominated by Hinduism, but this revival and the gospel breaks out. And the amazing thing is there was a cost to the missionaries who were coming over and there was a cost to the Indians that were there because it was happening in parts of northern India where they were most hostile to the gospel. So the missionaries come over and the missionaries are being martyred and the missionaries are being killed. This family breaks through. This family prays to, to follow Jesus and gives their lives to follow Jesus and they're baptized. But the leaders of the village want to make a spectacle of this family. And they say, no, 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 we're not going to allow, we're not going to allow this. And so they threaten to kill the father. And they say to him, recant, give up the gospel, turn from Christ, and you can live and your family can live. They keep pressing him to recant. And he says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. They say, we'll kill your children. These are some of the first believers in this province. We'll kill your children. And the witnesses reported to the missionaries later. This is what they said. He said, when they said, we're going to kill your children, he said, I've decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. And they kill his children. When they kill his children, he says reportedly, okay, the world is behind me, but the cross is still before me said, okay, we'll kill your wife. And put arrows in his wife. And then he says the words, nobody is here to go with me. I still will follow. And the gospel moves. And that song, an Indian songwriter pins the words of that song. I have decided follow Jesus, there's no turning back. It's a lot different than a simple invitation. It's a call to pick up your life. Some of you for the very first time and follow him. But for the rest of us, it's a wake-up call to say he's worth it. He is worth it. He is worth it. And the empty tomb will validate he is worth it. Will you, will you follow him? Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is hard and challenging, but it is our life. And Father, I pray that you would speak 
to that man who was here over in the worship, uh, in the fellowship hall, that woman, that student. And this concept of following our bleeding, suffering Savior is just, for them, they've never done that. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. And, oh, Father, you know how I wrestle this. What's the reward? What are they going to get? Does this sound good for them? You know what? The gospel is difficult. The gospel is hard. But through your spirit, would you quicken hearts? Would your spirit open up eyes so that they see Christ and they follow him? There's no other reward than to know him and to follow him. And by your spirit, would you do it? And then, Lord, would you work in hearts? here that there's immediate response the applications are endless to this there are things right in front of us and as you spoke to this pastor this week would you speak to them and would you say this is what it means to follow me this is what it means lay yourself down lay your feelings down lay your emotions in the past down lay your control and your certainty and your security and your responsibilities and your loyalties put them down and live in freedom oh father would you do that in your church in your people in your sheep oh father please do it and may we never turn back together together and we pray this in jesus name amen and amen